Welcome to Dan's On Site with Dan Dutton and Dan Goley, a podcast and YouTube show dedicated to all things real estate, delivering market information, interviews from all perspectives, and tips for everyone involved in or interested in real estate. We'd love to hear from you. Dan's at dansonsite.com. Hey, welcome to Dan's On Site. I think first we probably should recognize episode 10. I didn't even know that. Really? Yeah, episode Officially episode 10. Now we have the three mini episodes. Does that fall within the 10? No, that's on top of the 10. So it's maybe... Baker's dozen. Whatever. I, I Just let's say, I don't think either one of us ever thought we'd get here. No. Four months in? No, four months in. Definitely yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> experiment that probably should have failed after one time. But that being said, you guys... We've definitely improved over time. I mean, that's... It's definitely... Maybe the audience can decide whether we've actually yeah. improved or not. Um, but our views seem to keep going up. Last week's episode with Peter was a hit. I mean, that's the only way I say it. We've had a ton of people watch on YouTube. It, even more people listen to the podcast. So we really appreciate everybody checking in. We'd love to hear from you. Dan's at dansonsite.com. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have questions, we'd love to answer them. Uh, if you want have questions for Peter, I think Peter said you could contact him directly or we can certainly get those questions to Peter as well too. Right. But we'd love to talk to you about it. We'd also love to hear from you about ideas for future episodes. And I guess now would be a good time to say you can get all our episodes always at dansonsite.com or always Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all those places. Find us on Facebook, Dan's On Site. And I really want to push out this Facebook group, Real Estate Onsite, because we've had kind of some beginnings of great conversations start on there. And I'd really like to push up the volume of conversations and just add to the community of what's happening and hopefully just add to the overall knowledge base in the city or the, you know, the country, really. So today, we, uh, Dan and I have been watching a bunch of stuff on uh, with ICSE, International Council of Shopping Centers, the last few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, as many of you know, but maybe not all of you, if Dan and I have a specialty, it's, it's retail. We spend a lot of time in the retail world doing a lot of shopping center work, uh, representing tenants, stuff like that. So it's a topic that is near and dear to our hearts. And uh, maybe I wouldn't call us experts, but... Potentially, some people would call us experts in the field. We know above average amounts. Above average amounts. So this episode is just Dan and I, and we want to take you on kind of a deep dive of retail. And I guess the best way to describe it, or the title of the show is, Ghosts of Retail, Past, Present, and Future. So what did we look like leading up to COVID? What are we like during COVID? And what does that mean for the future of retail? Everybody likes to go shopping. Everybody has to go shopping. So we just uh, want to get into it. And I think, I'm just going to say it, Dan. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Physical stores aren't dead. They're not no. dead. They're not going to be dead. They're going to be around for a long time. And I think you guys will find out. We might have some strong opinions on this subject as we move forward. It's very hard to control myself, I think, sometimes. <laughs> I mean, when I hear, when we go into a conversation uh, with anybody, and we're pitching our services or whatever it is, you always hear people say, you know, Amazon's killing it. We hear Amazon, Amazon, and Amazon, essentially. And so it drives me up a wall. Well, I heard I that don't know. Amaz- all people only shop on Amazon now. Yeah. Well, you know, Amazon, quite frankly, is a 
cloud company. So they, they take all data from everybody and they create data and sell it and that's what they have. So this is a funny point. We uh, went to a presentation a few years ago mm -hmm. by a guy who is a leading expert in so-called uh, or these things. And he basically said, Amazon does print money. They just don't do it from Amazon.com. They do it because they're the largest cloud computing company in the world. They have all of our data. Yeah. I mean, essentially, not all of our data. I know that's an embellishment and stretch in today's world, but they definitely are on a daily collection of everything that we do. And storage mm -hmm. for companies and stuff like that as well. But, you know, when you really think about it, and I think about it as a kid, I try and explain it to people. Yes, Amazon has made an impact. Yes, Amazon has you know, done some damage, I guess, to the mom and pops of the world. And, but you have to really think of, you know, what a retail store is, what history is. And I always use the, the uh, example of JCPenney when I was a kid. You know, once a year, I believe, might have been twice, we'd get this, you know, our family, and I'm sure everyone else did this, 48-inch thick JCPenney catalog. And it would come in and we'd flip through and buy things. And then my mom would call in and order. And then whenever it was in, we'd get a call from the West. We just, I grew up just north of the West Roads. And we'd drive up the West Roads and pull our name out and they'd hand us our stuff. That's essentially internet. It's the world has gotten easier now. So now you can get on the internet and computer and you can do it from your home. And instead of going to JCPenney, for example, to pick up your products, it's now ending up on your front porch. So the whole concept of ordering um, in today's world known as online, that concept has always been there. And it is, it is definitely made things more efficient. But, you know, the other side of it too is we have delivery trucks now. They, they, they rely on delivery more and everything else. So, you know, I see it as more of an evolution of times, essentially. And that's before I go too I love, far down the rat hole, which I could. I love the comparison of Amazon and Sears. Mm -hmm. Because Sears obviously was first known for their catalog business. Mm -hmm. um, and they obviously just had... Just like JCPenney, the big Just like JCPenney. But Sears started, you know, uh, Kenmore, Craftsman, Discover Card. Discover Card. Uh, the one I always get surprised about that I didn't realize, Allstate Insurance, started by Sears. Mm -hmm. All these huge companies that exist today mm -hmm. were all started by Sears. And you can almost envision a world without Jeff Bezos... Where Amazon has all these different lines that get split off into their own companies. And then what happens to Amazon.com 100 years from today? Well, Sears was Amazon. I mean, it, that's what you're essentially yes. saying. And, that's, and I totally agree. And I think where Sears kind of lost it, I guess, is they didn't take advantage of what they had. I mean, it was literally all laying in front of them. They had product lines across the the globe essentially, and they couldn't maximize on that opportunity. And give it credit to Amazon and Bezos, they had everybody's data and where everyone was going and, and that's here a we good, are today. That's a good place to transition kind of into the Amazon effect, if you will. What kind of effect did the internet have on physical stores? Because I always say, it's not that there was there's less retail today. People are buying more than they ever have. That's for certain. But with physical stores, what you saw is a lack of creativity. Everybody just got lazy. I say it all the time. You know, in the 80s and 90s, you open up a store, you make a fortune. You open up another store, you make another fortune. And, and then Amazon and the internet came along and said, well, I don't actually have to open up a store to make a fortune. 
I can do this differently. And so the effect had, you know, we saw the fall of department stores, yeah. which then translated into, and not that Walmart kind of came in, instead of putting it on multiple floors, there's just one wide open, huge central warehouse. And that's pushed malls to struggle. But you know, an interesting fact, everybody wants to talk about the mall. Side note, interesting fact, malls make up 15% of total gross leasable square footage of all retail. So actually malls are not the part we should be concerned about. Strip centers are the part we should be concerned about, but everybody focuses on So now on we've, we've said Amazon and now the misconception on Amazon and now the misconception on malls. Right, okay. exactly. Just want to make sure Just we're educators here to the public. Enlightening, enlightening. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing that kind of happened was stores started, you know, in the early 2000s, we saw a booming of stores. And our uh, Walmart got up probably as big as 250, 260,000 square feet in locations, at least around here. And now we've seen a real shrinking of stores. Even the TJ's Rosses of the world were probably Kohl's. getting closer to 30,000 square feet. They've shrunk. Kohl's was doing 80,000 square foot stores. And, half. and right now Kohl's wishes they were in 35,000 yeah. square feet. Burlington did 80,000 square foot stores and has made it up a company um, strategy to go reduce the size of all those stores. Mm -hmm. And they started, what, three or four years ago, reducing them to 50,000 square feet. Now they're like, boy, we really only need 25,000 right. square feet. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is we've seen the rise of retailers that are creative, the retailers that don't even actually use the internet or maybe they have a limited internet presence to market themselves, but they don't sell anything online. And they're the most successful retailers, uh, at least from physical standpoint, we have today. And that's TJX, which is TJ mm -hmm. Maxx, Home Goods, Marshalls, um, and their sports line, I can't, the outdoor, Sierra, Sierra Trading, yep. Ross Dress for Less and DD's Discounts in Burlington. And those guys are the best thing going right now in, in retail. And they all have very little internet presence. They, and they don't sell any, basically anything online. Um, so that's kind of where we were. That's let's call that ghost of retail past. Okay. Then COVID hits. We're in COVID now ghost of retail presence. Talk a little bit about how COVID affected the landscape. Well, we'd have to, find a sector. Um, I, I would almost say, if you were to look at, let me back up, if you're looking at an overall view of how COVID has impacted, I think the initial surge of COVID, you know, and multifamily was fine, everything else, and the, but you had some retailers that were struggling anyways. Maybe some of them already had support from a landlord. Maybe some of them have already maxed out on their credit line with their bank, or at least the ability to expand on a credit line. And so COVID hit and it was the unfortunate, but natural accelerator to their closing. And I think that was kind of the first wave that blew on through. The world was in uncertainty, certainly in the Midwest, we were in the uncertainty, but some of those were the quick close. And I think that kind of sent a shock wave going through um, you know, who's next, what's the next, you know, card to fall. And then we started looking at the trends, you know, the one component that didn't shut down was anything related to food. So you had, you know, with the exception of some restaurants, but the, the grocery stores were, were wide open blockbuster numbers. Um, especially some that were local that offered delivery and or curbside pickup. 
Those well, were doing well. Regionally, Hy-Vee, Hy-Vee. I think, has been knocking it. Hy-Vee um, has to have a record year. We go to the store and you can't find stuff. Yeah. And part of that is the supply chain on the back end. Um, to keep up with that demand, there was certainly a lag there. But the other sector that really went well was, you know, drive throughs And I think over uh, restaurants, so maybe the fast food, the Q, we call them QSRs, but those fast food, McDonald's, the, the Wendy's, the Burger King's, the Chick-fil-A's, for example, you know, there was 105, they were north of 100, 105,000 of anticipated sales over normal. Yeah, was, they were 105% mm-hmm. uh, year over year. So they actually performed better in, say, March and April, or definitely April of 20, than they did in April of 19. And so you're seeing the evolution of that um, going into the future. And so, you know, our job, instead of sitting back and, and relying on the ghost of the past, we're trying to look at all these people and understand what the future is. And a lot of these, when I, when I mentioned all the fast feeders, for example, will stay there, is they're, when they're looking at new locations for just the ground, they'll take the same size of land, maybe it's an acre or acre and a half, but what they're doing is, is they're shrinking their actual footprint of the building. And so that's kind of the wave of future for us. It creates opportunity across the board. So now maybe their inside store seats 50 people where in the past it, it sat 100. But what that does now is adds one other drive lane. So you might say two or three drive throughs I know down here on 114th Street, there's two lanes in that particular McDonald's. And I was essentially ahead of the curve. What we're also seeing is the local mom and pops, certainly in the Omaha area, um, the ones that are surviving and doing well, maybe they're doing 65 or 75% of their sales that are, you know, I can use Big Fred's, I guess, as an example. One location, operating well, no fear of really closing, wishes he could do a drive-through. And so I think those are, you know, people are looking back at the convenience is coming back anymore. We've We've gone essentially from Amazon bringing it to the door to now the world wanting to drive through and have it handed it to Yeah, them. so what we really have seen, we saw the 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 signs pre-COVID yeah. of, you know, curbside pickup, yep. especially in the restaurant industry. Drive-throughs drive throughs being important. Now COVID kind of fast tracks this for everybody. And yeah, you could order online at the grocery store and go pick it up, but how many times did you actually do that? During COVID, I want to I, pick my bananas. Right, that's exactly Just right. Saying. Or you know, I don't want them to. I like Jif peanut butter. I don't want you know Peter Pan or Skippy's or whatever it is. I don't know. Skippy's I, isn't bad. Heinz ketchup. Let's just be honest. Don't replace my Heinz ketchup with Heinz. Nobody wants that in their house. Anyway, so <laughs> wow, off topic. Anyway, the point is curbside pickup at the grocery store is now routine. In fact, it's gotten so busy that you can, you'll get text saying we're delayed. We can't, you, you set your time at three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, you go through the store and you're jam, the aisles jam full with two or three different people with all these bins on these racks, mm-hmm. just loading stuff in. And so it's gotten so busy that now you have to almost, you know, Hy-Vee for a while, I think you had to go like a week or two weeks ahead of time in order to know when you're going to pick it up. Um, so it's fast-tracked it, and it's curbside's not just a restaurant thing anymore. The grocery stores are using it, but now Walmart's using it. Now Target's using it. Now everybody's using it. I did want to back up really quick before we get off COVID time and we, and we start talking about the what the future looks like. You know, COVID was a tough time. A lot of retailers 
shut down for 45, 60 days. They probably shut down around March 15th to March 20th. They started opening stores back up, maybe May 1. Mm-hmm. And then probably were fully back open sometime mid-June uh, across the country. So it became a really difficult period of time to pay rent. You're making zero money. People, you know, employees are still hoping to get paid because they depend on this income. The government very much still wants you to pay these people. Mm-hmm. And, and as a good company, as a good steward, you're trying to pay these people. So you have that expense. But then you have rent. You have all these landlords who expect rent. Um, I think most malls probably saw at the height, saw about 50% of rent collection or maybe the bottom. The bottom saw 50% rent collection. I know strip center owners saw as high as 95% even during the worst, maybe 90, 95 even during the worst. There were a lot of tenants, especially national tenants, that basically across the board, even if they had 1,000, 2,000 stores, went to every single landlord and started to work out deals where they were able to either pay a smaller portion of rent during uh, the three months or were able to defer it down the road. You know, you hear all sorts of stories. Some landlords were very specific that had to be paid back this year. Mm-hmm. Some landlords just tacked it onto the back end of the lease. You really saw it across the board. I don't know that there was one single way that landlords and tenants did it, but you did see tenants that demanded it happen or they would just- Banks being more flush really helped. You know, they had the cash now than the previous pandemics. It's yeah. kind of what you're saying is that that's really, that, it helped the landlords in some cases and the tenants in both just by landlords were able to have the stability and defer payments right. or interest only payments, something like that. And banks being on solid footing, you're right. I mean, we would have seen worse than 08 had the banks not been on solid footing here, yeah. or for the most part on solid footing. Bankruptcies are high and they're going to continue to be high for a period of time. And I don't think there's any real way around it. Some of these guys were going to file bankruptcy anyway. Mm-hmm. COVID just pressed the issue. Some of these groups are filing bankruptcy just to make sure that they get the protections that bankruptcy offers and basically force the landlord's hand to work a deal with them, right? Um, I think the one big thing from a lease perspective we're going to see, and we've talked about this before, we're going to see come out of COVID is pandemic clauses. Mm-hmm. Pandemic clauses are going to become a thing. We're even seeing local tenants with one single store asking for pandemic clauses or to rework their lease and add a pandemic clause. So that's going to be something we see going forward. So COVID fast tracks changes. We get, we talked about restaurants. I think with retail, we um, should touch on omni-channel retailing. Omni-channel is something you started to hear, I don't know, 05, 06, 07, and it's really physical stores. Think of it as a circle. You got your physical store, you got distribution, you got the internet, you got customers, and how that synergy of working all three of those together. And now omni-channel retailing becomes really the biggest thing in the world. And I know you have a few things you want to say, but I should just add omni-channel retailing, those with physical stores, still more profitable than internet-only retailing. Well, it's distribution, I think, is kind of where you're going. It's the, when you, um, when you want, you know, let me back up and they say the product that can come, you know, what is the source of product? For example, in the Midwest, 
we're not going to have a year-round need, some of us anyways, for uh, tank tops or flip-flops or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Sun's out, guns out. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if there's snow I don't know where I ground. came up with that. I read that somewhere, but <laughs> I certainly don't use it. But that's when, when we, um, we, we were watching, and Walmart now has the ability to, in China, um, deliver within the hour, in some cases, uh, after an order is placed. And where that comes down to is kind of where I was leading on to it is their prediction and their estimation or their analyst, you know, the, the determination after analyzing data is what area needs. And so they go out Can and- Can we just stop for a second? Because I, I find this topic fascinating. It's amazing. In the United States, we're still talking, is it possible ever for Amazon or whoever to do same day deliveries? Chicago, I think is, and the bigger cities can't. And now in China, they're actually internet orders delivering within one hour. Mm -hmm. That's unbelievable. It seems to me like a game changer, but I think what you're saying is it can only be done because Walmart already has the real estate. Yeah, and there's gonna be a couple announcements coming up. I mean, I know up in Blair, there's a big distribution center that's coming up and I it's gonna be- you, the, For those of you outside Omaha, Blair is, I guess a smaller, 20 minutes north. smaller community on the edge of the metro. Yeah. Uh, but even in Omaha, there's going to be, um, um, in Sarpy County, another large distribution um, center announced. And that's just around here that we can um, confidently say that's coming. But I think what what's happening is instead of, and let me go back to a great example of Sears. Um, and this is pre-COVID. They had distribution sites in, I believe, Los Angeles and along the West Coast. So essentially, if there was a, um, um, their appliance division, their hometown stores, as they called them, you could literally go into that Sears store, order your appliance set, and it'll be at your house the next day. And I think they've seen that along the West Coast, Sears, for example, but all the other people that they, they've now said that, and these would be two other, the, the two distribution centers that I've talked about, now they're starting, you're seeing the trend to come into the Midwest to where, all of us here, sometimes our orders don't come in on time. That could be for a plethora of reasons here in the Midwest, certainly. Maybe it's weather that's preventing it from getting here, whatever it is. Now with these distribution centers in the Midwest, the efficiency of delivery and receiving your product is only gonna improve. Well, data, the data that retailers are able to get from you nowadays is what in many cases allow these same day deliveries or within the hour deliveries. Mm -hmm. The CEO of Walmart International was talking specifically about they can go the SKUs, the barcodes, and what they're actually selling. They can go find what the top sellers are in every category and make sure they have plenty of that on hand. And then they create these hubs that these hubs are just stocked with the top sellers in all the categories. And so when people order, they have a delivery driver either through a partner uh, a partnership with another corporation or their own delivery driver who can just pick it and mm -hmm. then take it right away. And that's that's where omni-channel retailing really comes in. Amazon's on step one, but you've seen, even Amazon realizes they have to get into physical real estate. And well, Nike, they, Nike, I think, has pulled off Amazon. So what you're seeing is some of these name brands now pulling off of Amazon and you know, not, not allowing them to have the product and kind of doing the same thing on their own or partnership with somewhere else. If we think about a Walmart, let's say a, a super Walmart in your town's 240,000 square feet. 
And yes, they use all of it nowadays, but if they can reduce the things that don't sell and increase the size of warehouse they have, toilet paper or and maybe they have, you know, a lot of these tar you see Target sell off a number of pads lately. Walmart sometimes has extra pads. They have extra ground. Whatever. They could build be easy for them to build a 10,000 square foot hub, if you will. And now Walmart's located basically on the best corner uh, in every town across the country. And if I can then put a hub there, I'm three steps ahead of Amazon. But don't kid yourself, Amazon's trying as hard as they can to catch up in the real estate department. Um, well, they bought Whole Foods. Foods. Yeah, I was just going to say Whole Foods, which has, you know, if you look at every Whole Foods across the country, they have great real estate. And it was, that's where, going back to the beginning, I didn't go down the rat hole. It's one of my examples that I use on top of JCPenney's. I mean, they said Amazon was going to take everybody away from brick and mortar. And here they are, they go acquire Whole Foods because they have so much product and they have figured out how to get it out there to put it in those stores for people to order. And now Amazon is also trying to put in massive hubs everywhere mm -hmm. they can so that they can do those deliveries quicker and quicker and quicker. But the thing that drives the cost of goods uh, at this point, probably more than anything, is that transportation cost. And so having being Amazon and having to transport your whatever, your cell phone case uh, from LA to Omaha, Nebraska, if you're in Omaha, Nebraska, it's a ridiculous amount of money they have to spend just to send you that $10 phone case. Mm -hmm. But if it's already here in Omaha on a, or shipped to Omaha on a truck three months before you order it with oh my, a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, that's just randomly coming here, they can drive down shipping costs. And Walmart already does that. And that's why that is more profitable. But I think it's also important to note just because we see the rise of internet, we see the rise of omni-channel, doesn't actually mean foot traffic is massively decreasing at these stores. You know, as soon as we saw this at a shopping center we do a lot of work at that has a TJ Maxx, as soon as restrictions here locally lifted and people could go back to stores, I'm not joking, there was a line around the shopping center with people waiting to get into TJ. Now you say, well, they had to be six feet apart. There could only be so many people in the store. Okay. I'll give There's you, always an naysayer, Dan. You know what? I'll give you all that. But around the shopping center? Now, me personally, I look at a line. I look at a line of two people. And I I'm say, going online. <laughs> I'm out. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> but I'll do this tomorrow, next week. But that's how bad people want to get back in and do their shopping. And that's why in the future... We've been talking about the experience of retailing for since the rise of the internet, uh, probably since I got into this business 15, 18, 20 years ago. But now the customer experience has to be the sole focus of what everybody, from the developer who's developing the property to the landlord who owns an existing property or will own the property after the developer. And then obviously the retailer. I mean, we have to make shopping centers that feel good to be at, that mm -hmm. you want to go to, even if there's a little bit of hassle of wearing a mask or crowds or whatever. And then once you're on that property, the retail, the retailer or the restaurant for that matter has to give you, I mean, an experience like, 
in many cases you've never had before to get you to want to come back, to want to stay there and then come back. Yeah, it's the experience. And technology plays a huge role in convenience. Well, I mean, if you go to a restaurant now, instead of receiving, you know, initially in COVID, you know, they wanted you to um, hand out or they wanted the restaurants to hand out the menus and paper and throw them away immediately after. And in short order, in the few months that we've been there, now it's the barcode. You just go in with your phone, you point your picture. Yeah. You're not handing out menus. The card can stay on the table. The menu's on there. So that's that's how quick, with with good operators, how quick someone could transition and make it easy for everyone else. And actually, you think about the possibilities there, right? When I pull the menu up on my phone, mm -hmm. it's maybe not quite there yet, but you could get to the point where, oh, that looks like an interesting meal. I'd love to see what it looks like. Well, you click on it, and then now there's a picture of what it looks like on there. So you can really see the possibilities going there. I do want, look, Dan and I knew we had the potential to go long here and we're gonna to try to wrap it up fairly quickly. But I wanna really hammer, when I think about the future of retail, we've already expanded what our definition of retail is, right? Mm -hmm. um, it used to be that 20 years ago in a shopping center, you couldn't lease to a dentist or maybe a massage therapist, insurance office, something like that. And now we lease those people all day, every day. And I call those retail service providers. They're not really, they're not a retailer, but they're providing a service that people need every day or, you know, some portion of society needs every day. And so we've expanded the retail use, but really these development, if we think about it from a development standpoint, we really have to expand our idea of what uses can go on the same property, correct? Yeah, I mean, several years ago, um, well, Dan, I've been in doing this for a while. I mean, in our brain, you always hear the word power center. And so you go in and you, that, what that means is essentially all the big names and the big stores all lined up in one and you're going in there and that's what it hits. And then it kind of evolved into some pads, you know, some pads out front, you know, to help service it. Maybe it's a food, maybe it's a smaller bank, everything else. And then it kind of evolved into what Dan was just mentioning with, you know, instead of retail, as we mentioned of old, now it's kind of a blend where you can, you know, go get your nails done, maybe do some shopping and make your insurance payment, whatever that may be. And so where it's coming today's world is, I think you could call it a level of efficiency and efficiency is driven essentially by the land that is there and the needs to serve for people. And so um, in the world of, of Uber, where not everybody's driving, you want to be able to live somewhere and have all the amenities. And in our world, we call that mixed use. And I think what we're starting to see is in the 10 years ago, we probably thought it would never be an evolution of, of our real estate market. But I really think that is where it's heading. Um, I don't think there's any. I, I think it's here. I shouldn't say heading. I think well, it's we've here. Just, we spent 15 minutes talking about all the ways that retailers are basically using their existing locations as warehouses and distribution points, right? That is a clear sign of mixed use of industrial and retail. Mm -hmm. That only grows. More, you know, Sam's Club calls itself a warehouse club, but Walmart or Target is probably a better example of truly a store that operates both as a shopping point where you can physically go inside and buy something, but it's a distribution point. Mm -hmm. They, you can either come pick, you can be the delivery driver, right? 
That's really what well, the retail, retail stores are kind of like distribution. A truck brings in the product and then it's there for people to come pick up. But now they're also delivering from there too. So it makes it a true warehouse. Right. And as they build these hubs, they're maybe going to be right next to a Walmart. Those hubs are, are warehouses. That's mm -hmm. all they are is a warehouse for deliveries and both ways. Um, but the one thing Dan and I are, are giddy, giddy is too strong of a word, right? We don't want to let short true cards. That's true. Uh, we have no desire to talk about the other mixed juice. Just joking. I, um, <laughs> Dan and I are really big fans of, you know, mixing in residential and retail. And I uh, talk about, some of you guys will know, West Glen Town Center in West Des Moines, which is a large mixed use development with retail, office, and apartments on site. I started working that in, I think, 13, 12, mm -hmm. 13, something like that. At a time when a lot of people were still trying to figure out in a suburban area, obviously in New York City, those three have lived together. We walked down the street. It's been there since forever. They were good. But in a suburban setting like West Des Moines, we were still trying, developers all across the country were still trying to make, figure out how that works. Because I think at the heart, in some ways, each one of those uses conflict with each other. And so how do you kind of bring that synergy and allow each use to see the benefit of the other uses? And in my mind, the future of retail is this mixed use concept from the one side being the industrial slash retail side, but on the other side is bringing harmony of multifamily and retail together. And Dan and I are super excited because that's what we're really diving into right now is that multifamily retail combination. We, um, we still work West Glen today, um, although the amount of effort we have to put into it's a lot less today than it was seven, years ago. A little bit more stabilized than it was. Because, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But a massive project uh, we're just being brought into in Omaha, we're super excited about. And then Dan and I are also kind of working with a few other developers to do it on a smaller scale as well too. And so, we think this is, we actually find retail at an exciting point in its history for what the future looks like. Well, it's the evolution. I mean, it's, you know, we've talked about it from the onset of this, this show is, you know, the Sears and the JCPenney's world flowing all the way through, you know, the Amazons and the, you know, the, the, the department store concepts to the everything else that we've walked, uh, through the ghosts, I guess, of all the different stages of retail. And here we are where, you know, you hear like live, work and play. That's, you hear more and more and more. And, and while, as Dan mentioned in the bigger cities, it's been there, it's starting to trickle into Midwestern towns like the city of Omaha. And I think off the top of my head or in surrounding towns, top of my head, I can think of three projects essentially that are essentially announced or at some various phases of rolling of that's how they're going to do it. And I think where it works is apartments are doing well. The multifamily's great. We talked about that last week. There's just yeah. a desperate need for it's housing. There's a de desperate need of housing, but then we also, it kind of, you know, falls into play that what we said earlier is a lot of these retailers don't need 80,000. They can do, you know, just fine with 25 or 30. So that means now in that 80, you can fit three or four instead of one. So now you're fitting more of them in. And, you know, even on the office component, the world of COVID that we live in, if it's an insurance you know, agent, for an example, he doesn't need 3,000 feet, maybe he needs 1,000 or 1,500. So that squeezes even more people in. So the whole idea is, is, is efficiency helps create the density. And when you mix all the components together, 
I think that's really going to be kind of the wave. It's already been here, but certainly through this market is the wave of the next five to 10 years. I find it fascinating. I find it an unbelievably exciting time to be in retail. And part of that reason is, is because the people that are the most creative today mm -hmm. are going to win out, which also means, you know, when I got into the retail business, it was build a strip center. You know, in either 10,000 square foot, 15,000 square foot, square or, yeah. or a 200,000 square foot strip yeah. center. That's all anybody did. There was no creativity. There was no variation. But today, it's it's really is whatever we want to make of it. From the retailers, the restaurants, the bars, they have the freedom to do whatever they need to do to be successful, which means you're going to get all sorts of cool things. Mm -hmm. We as real estate professionals are getting the freedom to put together things as we see which means you're going to get all sorts of cool developments. You're going to get all sorts of new leasing ideas. Um, so I think it's a really exciting time. And I guess I would maybe end it by yep. saying retail's not dead. You know, or what do they say? Uh, the king is dead. Long live the king. Retail is dead. Long live retail. <laughs> yeah. However you say that. But I'm not sure where that came from, but I'll go with that. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, anyway, I think the point is what we're trying to preach is retail's not dead. It's evolving. Mm -hmm. And it's changing. It's forever and changing. Forever changing. It's a very exciting time to be in retail, in my opinion. Dan, before we leave, any parting words? Uh, we, you know, if you want to learn more about it, I think Dan and I are really focused in on the mixed use. I know, you know, that's one of the terms that maybe people don't understand to us. It just rolls off our tongue. But anything like that, if you have any questions on uh, what mixed use is, where, what, um, developments we're talking about, our projects we're working on, or where are those distribution sites, feel free to reach on out to us at Dan's at Dan's On Site. We'd love to talk to you. As always, catch all our old episodes at dansonsite.com, Facebook, uh, Dan's On Site. Join the retail group. I'd love to have a big conversation on the retail group mm -hmm. about Dan, or about Dan's On Site, about <laughs> mixed use and what That's the okay, future too. of mixed use is. We try to actually keep Dan's on site away from the retail group or the real estate group. Anyway, side note, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, dansonsite.com. As always, Dan Goley. Thank you very much. I'm Dan Dunn. Thank you for watching and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us. Find us on Facebook at YouTube, Dan's on site. All your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We would love it if you hit the subscribe button and also leave us a review. Reach us at dans at dansonsite.com.